really want to encourage you about those, you know, the healing is for today. Especially those knees. I remember on my 40th birthday, one of my real joys in life is to um, go off around the countryside on my bike. And my 40th birthday, I couldn't go swimming because I had an ear infection. And I couldn't, there was something else I couldn't do. I can't think what that was. And I couldn't, I couldn't go cycling because my knees were causing me so much pain. Very nearly 20 years on. So from 40 to 50, I hardly cycled. And God has healed my knees. Yeah, this morning, and well, yesterday I went out on my bike. This morning, on my way, so did a circuit, 16 miles, and I don't, it doesn't even cross my mind that my knees will ache. So if that's you, or you have got something completely unrelated to that, you know, Sasha's just saying, God is here in healing. And he, you know, if you check it, check it out now, you know, if, if you can't feel a, a definite improvement, then, you know, he's still in the prayer. It's not like he only heals in the worship or when people are praying in groups. He's still healing now. So I just really want to encourage you um, with that. When I was thinking about today, I just thought, oh, well, you know, what, what should I preach on? And, and I felt like it was sort of... Um, I just wanted something. I had a passage in mind and I thought, oh yeah, I could do that one, but I just spent a bit more life on it. Something a bit with my, my life message. And God just drew me to 2 Corinthians. And there's lots of passages in 2 Corinthians that have been really personal to me. It starts about in chapter one about um, talking about God as the God of all comfort. And it was a time in my early Christian life where that was so um, important to me and how I have just had real confidence on whatever has happened either to me or to someone, you know, a, a friend. I know, I just pray God that they may experience you as the God of all comfort because that was my experience. But there's some other lovely, I mean, there's great ones. Now it is God who makes you, uh, both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Um, This is one of my favorites, but our competence comes from God. You know, without God, I'm up a gum tree, really. You know, my competence comes from God. Um, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. And then now the Lord is the spirit where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory, which is um, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So I'm going to now go on to, oh, it's up there, good. 2 Corinthians 5. So I was reading this and I thought, you know, anyway, it's who on earth, on, who on earth or heaven am I? You know, what, what are, who are we? And there's some wonderful um, passages in here about us being a new creation. And um, I'm just going to sort of go through um, this chapter. 
For we know that that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now, any of you who have been on Bible Weeks um, will have experienced something of the temporary nature of tents. Um, and actual fact, Bible weeks were nothing like, well, they, the weather might have been like that on occasions, except that you were with 15, 20,000 other people crammed um, with your tents. You know, these bodies are, uh, they're likened to a temporary structure. But actually, and then it says we're going to get a new body, a new heavenly body. That is, that is the real thing. We tend to think that this, you know, is the real thing. This is a temporary structure. But we have a building, you know, when we get to when our new body, it's, it's sort of saying our new body in heaven will be a building. The contrast between, you know, who would prefer the tent there's going to be one, isn't there? But, but who, now let's do it the other way. Who prefers the house, the, the, the permanent structure than the tent? Yeah. Okay. I know because we've tried to get some, you know, sometimes we've suggested camping. It's not been enthusiastically, um, received. So, so yes, our heavenly dwelling is the, is the permanent structure. And, you know, we are a body. Yes, we do have this body. But what else are we? We're going to, we'll be talking later on about our spirits. And I sort of looked up some you know, sort of diagrams. We are body, soul, and spirit. I'm not sure I... Oh, that's a bit blurry, but you can get the general idea. I'm not sure I actually like this as a depiction because it looks like my spirit is completely enclosed by my body. Whereas I think my spirit has a, a heavenly dimension as well. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't think it's like this, you know, cause it almost, I, I did like this cause the sort of spirit's burning, isn't it? I, that was the plus of this one, the spirit's burning. But it's not like, you know, my, 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 my body and my soul and my spirit get smaller kind of thing. I think my spirit is way bigger than my body. So there's this, then someone, you know, another person has come up with this one. Well, again, I, actually, I quite like this one because really your, your spirit isn't limited by your body. But there is this overlap. And I was having some discussions with um, David Webster and, uh, and others. You know, and I was saying, well, where does the, you know, where does the personality lie? Is it somewhere, you know, in the, this Venn diagram? But we, t- we want it all nicely, logically worked out. But it's not, God, the Bible's not that. That's a very sort of Greek way of thinking. The, the, the Bible's written in a more Hebrew way of thinking, which, which will live with um, uncertainties. 
which will live with the, you know, it doesn't have to actually be proved by logic. But, you know, our, so our, our personalities, I think, are a combination of our, our spirit and our soul. But it's our spirit that is renewed. It's our spirit that is renewed. But so often it's easy to think, this is, this is the reality of me. I am a body with a spirit. But I don't think God's not saying that. I think we are a spirit with a body. Because this body is the temporary structure. My spirit is, is my eternal nature. And just to say, it um, gets quite crowded, really, inside this small body. Because not only have we got um, you know, body, soul, and spirit... So before I was a Christian, I had body, soul, and spirit, but my spirit was dead to God. My spirit has now been renewed and alive, made alive to God. But actually, then what does it say? It says we have the Holy Spirit. And then in John, it says that Father, Son, and and the Holy Spirit will all come and make their home in us. You know, it's, we're all TARDISes, aren't we? You know, we're a lot bigger on the inside than we are on the outside. And then there was this other phrase which really struck me. So what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. And, oh, it's probably, I'm trying to think when it was, many years, many years ago, Maybe um, I actually um, did some, um, uh, someone in the church knew somebody with a child with muscular dystrophy. And I actually, um, they, they, were, they used to do sponsored um, cycle rides. And they, my friend in the church said, will you do this sponsored cycle ride for this, this young boy? Um, which I was very happy to do. And I did it, I think I did it two years running and it was really sad. He was in his early teens when I first you know, saw him. And, and the deterioration, you know, his life expectancy would probably be late teens, early 20s. And you just think, you know, this isn't right. But here it says that mortality is swallowed up by life. Someone's got a great, <laughs> just boogie along. Um, you know, when this body doesn't function anymore, you know, we, we do call it dying, don't we? But actually, we're swallowed up. If, we, if we're in Jesus, if we know Jesus, we're swallowed up by life. We're swallowed up by life. Now, the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. It says here, fashioned for this very purpose. You and I have been fashioned for immortality. That is the nature of who we are. We're fashioned and designed to live with eternity 
for God. I don't know, don't even begin to ask me how this works outside of time and space. You know, it's very easy from our bit of time and space, um, and, you know, to think, oh yeah, and God thought of me before the foundation of the world. But actually there's eternity. I was fashioned to live. I was designed to live. Um, you know, with, I was, I was designed with immortality in mind to have an eternal relationship with God. And then it goes on. So, you ever, <laughs> if you preach, sometimes you read a passage and there's some bits you'd sooner really not tackle. But I just felt like God say, no, tackle. Tackle the whole, well, I do actually miss out one bit just because it's more relevant to, it's more personal to the Corinthians than to the sort of general church, but this bit. So, therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So basically, Paul's saying, you know, he went through incredible hardships and persecutions. It said he was shipwrecked and beaten and imprisoned. He's actually saying, wow, for me, it would actually be easier to just, you know, go home, get my eternal body earlier and, and be with Jesus. But he's, you know, he's saying, well, but I know, you know, I want to be, I'm here as well. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So, first of all, we make it our, pl- our goal to please him. It's very easy, if you were reading that from a sort of legalistic point of view, it'd be very easy, wouldn't it, to think, oh God, what must I do to, you know, to, uh, to please you? You know, I mustn't this, and I mustn't that, and I mustn't this, and I must do this, this, and this. It's not that kind of pleasing. When we're talking about um, living, our, our goal is to please him. It's, you know, so we bring him joy. It's living our lives in a manner that brings him joy. You know, on, 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 our, on our relationship with him, on praise and worship, but in our lives, um, you know, together as a family of God and, and, uh, and you know, how we relate with our community and people around us. That we, we I, I mentioned earlier that we can be a um, pleasing fragrance to God. Living to please him. Put a smile on his face. Cause him joy. Yeah, sometimes you, I think we hear some of the things that people have done out on the streets or for one another. And you just, I can just see Jesus' face. Wow. Yeah, that did my heart good. Seeing that. So then on to the slightly trickier bit. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Just so everybody will come before the judgment seat of Christ, even Christians. 
And if you imagine it as um, we come um, to, to it's, right, this isn't written, this illustration isn't written in the Bible. I'm saying imagine it in this way. So there you are standing before Jesus. And if you think there's all this sort of actions that you've ever done, like, you know, like they had been, not that they, you know, like test papers. And you'd got, lot, you know, you'd got good few A grades. You'd got some Fs, some fails, you know, where, where we blew it, you know. Oh, Lord, I really blew that one. And then there's, you know, some sort of a scattering of B, C, you know, D, you know. And, and Jesus, it says, for what's done in, in this world. So Jesus sort of sorts through and puts the A's and then he takes out, you know, what was, what was all the good bits in the bit where you got a B and what were all the good bits in this, in the, where you got a C and everything and you put them there. And then, you know, the bits where weren't good, you put those on the fail pile. And then, just to say this fail pile, they are forgiven sins. For Christians, those are forgiven sins. They're not recorded as sins still against you. They're recorded as sins that have been forgiven and, you know, and paid for by the blood of Christ. And then they look in the Lamb's Book of Life. This is in the Bible, by the way. <laughs> and your name's there. And they say, wow, their name's there. And what happens to those F's? It's like Jesus, because he died on the cross and paid the penalty, strikes a match and just burns up those. And you're just left with all the, the A's. But that's not just your reward does say that there are rewards but say your a pile was like this big what is then given to you is jesus's a pile and jesus's a pile is this big and all of that is put on your pile that's how we we come that's how our lives are at the end of this end of our lives, when we're in Jesus, that He can burn up our forgiven sins, the things where we didn't get, or the things we just got wrong, and there's our a pile. And He says, "No, have well, that's, He said that's great. There's reward for that, but have my a pile as well." That's the nature of this. So I'm now I'm just skipping actually to um, to to the verse 14. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God, 
who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. I'll start almost at the back here. Isn't it amazing? We've been given a message of reconciliation. What's reconciliation? It's when two parties are far apart. Isn't it? It's interesting. We go out and we do Love Graves End on the streets and, and, you know, often we're talking with people and we're asking them, is there anything in their lives that they would like, you know, to see change? And sometimes, you know, they may have a walking stick with a sore ankle or something like that. But invariably, for me, you know, I don't know whether this happens differently to other people. The pain that the people can't cope with are broken relationships. How many of them, you know, I can live with a sore ankle, but I haven't spoken to my daughter in five years. And the pain that causes them. And, you know, reconciliation, bringing back um, uh, two, two people together is amazing. And this is what we've, we've got the good news of, yes, you can know God. We have this message of reconciliation. So, for Christ's love compels us. I sort of, I I do quite like strong verbs. You might have noticed. Um, But, you know, I just think it urges us on. Because what good news we have got. Because we are convinced that one died and therefore all have died. And this is what the baptism pool um, signifies is you go down it's like this is what's already happened in people's lives it's a picture of what's already happened is they've died to themselves and they've risen again in christ and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again and this is what the guys have been saying yeah, I, I, I was this, I'd come this far with God, but I re, I just want to be so wholehearted for Him. It is like this death and this resurrection. And I remember uh, my own baptism was the week after I turned 17. And I can remember some of what I said uh, to this day. And we used to sing the song, uh, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And the, one of the verses says, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. That we, we live wholehearted um, for him. Just going to skip that one. In Romans 6, it says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And these people today, they've been showing the picture that Christians are raised to a new life. And in 2 Corinthians 5, just carrying on this passage. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. 
They're literally saying, you know, basically, one time we thought Jesus was just a human. But now we realize who he really was or is. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Or the other, um, in, I can, in some versions it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, she or he is a new creation. And it's really good to remember what our new creation really is. Because so often I think Christians don't realize the incredible good news of who they now are. In Ezekiel 11:19, it says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. So God's put you an, a spirit, a new nature in you that is undivided. You have the ability to live wholehearted for him. You have a new spirit. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You know, say, your heart isn't hardened against me anymore. Your heart is soft and beating towards me then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws they will be my people and i will be their god just to say when when god's saying they will be my people he's really saying wow you know they're the ones that i love who are special to me who i will look after them and when he says i will be their god he's 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 saying yes i'm worthy of worship and all of that, but he's saying, I will be their God. Like he looked after the people of Israel as they came out of the um, slavery and into the promised land, did amazing miracles for them, provision and protection, all these things, I will be their God. Just to say, so um, there is a game, there is a picture of um, English or British um, bowl, uh, green, what do you call it? Lawn bowls, that's it, lawn bowls, or, you know, crown green is what they play, just to make it super difficult. But there are many cultures who, who have, you know, where you have a ball and you try and get it near the jack. And, you know, the French have ball and the um, Americans have bocce ball. But how easy is that? You know, you have a round ball and you throw it towards another little smaller round ball. But us being British, I don't know if it's the whole of Britain or a uniquely English bit, that we have to make it a little bit trickier than that. So, of course, we don't have round balls. They're flat. They're slightly flattened. And, and then just to make it more tricky, we put a weight inside one, you know, in the ball. So that even if you get it so you do it on its, so like this, on its more wheel-shaped side, it doesn't go in a straight line. It goes round to the side, goes in a curve. So many people can believe that as a Christian, your natural curve is towards sin. It's not. Your natural bias or your natural bent is towards God. This is in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. So now 
your natural bent is to do to think God's ways. It says in one Corinthians, I think it is, um, we have the mind of Christ. Our new way is towards God. In Jeremiah, it says, this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So it's saying, actually, you know, you, you have got this natural God thing in you written on your heart. But actually more than that, incredibly in 2 Peter 1, it says we're partakers of the divine nature. Yeah. My renewed spirit, my new spirit is sort of like carrying God's DNA. It says I'm a partaker of the new nature. What an incredible truth. I'm a partaker of the new nature. And in, two, in 1 Peter um, 1, it says, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living, enduring word of God. Again, it's actually saying the word there is sperma. It's the word for seed and for sperm. It's the thing of how does DNA, how does the very nature of something get carried on? And it's saying he's put his very nature in us. Isn't that incredible? It's just, you think, wow, this is who I really am. So you guys who've just been baptized, some of you have been Christians a long time. Some of you have been Christians not so long. This is the reality of who we are in Christ. This is the new life that Jesus is offering. And I do want to say, it does say that we are ambassadors, you know, offering this. If you don't know Jesus yet, and you think, wow, this sounds amazing, this new life, having life um, you know, for eternity do come and talk to one of us. I'll be around. David will be around. You guys are going to be around. So um, Mark and Fiona are sitting over there. They'll be around. Do come and talk to us and find out more. Uh, Dave, did you notice that Dave mentioned the Alpha course? We had, oh, it was such, we hadn't done Alpha for a number of years. For many years, we used to do Alpha regularly, and we hadn't done it for a number of years. And we did it from um, September uh, through to sort of Christmas. And it was such a great experience going on the journey with these guys. And, and now, uh, so... Um, and I think it's six or seven of you have been baptized um, today. Uh, this uh, today, so you know if you have, if you're thinking, oh, I wonder what this is. It's a it's a course that tells you tells your friend. You know, if you've got a friend, you can come with your friend, or you could suggest they come. And and it's an opportunity to um, to find out what Christianity is about and go on a journey. It's an opportunity to ask lots and lots of questions and to eat together, have fun together. Um, So, so, you know, know, do, do do that. 
Um, just to say those on Alpha are now doing the Kingdom Culture course. Yay! Um, which is really the basic course of, if you're, if you're new, fairly new to Eastgate and you haven't done day school or evening school, it is the course that tells you about our culture. If you, lo- if you love the freedom that you experience, if you love what you experience in Eastgate and want to find out our uh, values and thinking behind that, it's really important and you want Eastgate to be your home. Come on the Kingdom Culture course. There's one running at the moment. You can jump in in the middle because we'll be running it again next term and you can just, you know, sort of catch up. You know, you could start on number five, I think it would be, and then go through and then start on number one again next term. So just to recap who you are in Christ. I am a new creation. I am completely clean. I have a new heart. My natural bent or bias is towards doing what is right. My new heart is naturally wholehearted or undivided. I have God's spiritual DNA. I share and participate in God's divine nature. I have the power that raised Jesus from the dead coursing through me and from me. And, as I could have, should have put, and I'm designed for immortality. I'm designed for an eternal relationship with God. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you for what we have seen today of people uh, being baptized into into your death and into your resurrection that your heart for us is so amazing and what you have done, the reality of what you have done in our lives is so amazing that we have a new spirit in us, that we're partakers of your nature. Holy Spirit, bring us, align us with this truth in the next day, week, weeks, Align us with this truth, that we may live our lives that put our smile on your face and bring joy to us and those around us. Thank you, God. Amen.